Did you know that the UK is home to around 100 hinges? But the US also has a couple dozen American stone hinges too. They can be found all over the country from Georgia to California. Heck, even my little town has a Stonehenge subdivision. Welcome to the Lore of the South. South. Welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. How the heck are y'all? We're on episode 49, y'all. About halfway to 100. What should we do for episode 50? Guess I got a week to figure it out. Y'all just ever have runs of bad luck. That's what it's been like around here lately. Got a wrecked work truck, and then a guy with no driver's license smashes into Michael's work trailer. So now we're out a truck and a trailer. My truck has been in the shop for three months, y'all. Three months because of supply chain issues. And allergies have been off the freaking chart. I don't know. I mean, like, they used to be seasonal. Y'all remember when allergies were seasonal? Y'all, they're year-round. But anyways, y'all are here to hear my woe-is-me tales. Y'all are here for weird history and some spookiness. So here's our history-making news of the week. This story comes to us from the Vintage News. If in Oklahoma, be sure to tour the Museum of Osteology. There they house many cranial oddities, including that of a 2,000-year-old Peruvian warrior. The skull shows signs of ancient body modification practice of skull elongating, done to the infants of the most important members of these ancient communities. On this skull are also signs of warfare and major injury. It appears that this man had sustained a traumatic head wound but survived it. Upon bringing him back to his village, The healers, or maybe I should call them surgeons, peeled back the warrior's scalp and placed a hand-hammered metal plate over the open skull fracture. When you look at the picture, you can see where this skull had begun to heal around and to incorporate the metal plate into the bone, showing that this warrior not only sustained a major head injury, but also survived the 2,000-year-old surgery that was performed on his skull to re-enclose his exposed brain. And that is amazing. Now on to episode 49, the rise and fall of the Georgia Guidestones. Y'all know this recent news story has had me ticked off to no end. I hate the destruction of these types of things. I think I mentioned that in episode 48. I'm not here to change anyone's mind about what y'all think about that 42-year-old monument to the rebuilding of humanity, just to provide the facts as they are or appear to be. Elberton, Georgia is located in the mountains of northeastern Georgia and has been proclaimed the granite capital of the world and was originally settled in 1790. It is home to the Granite Museum and displays mock-ups of the different monuments that have been carved out of the Elberton quarries over the many years of their operation. It was in June of 1979 that a man calling himself Robert Christensen approached the Elberton Granite Finishing Company. There he spoke with the owner of the company, Joe Finley. Christensen told Finley that he represented a group of concerned Americans that wanted to have a monument erected that would stand the test of time, including that of a nuclear apocalypse. 
They wished for the monument to resemble that of Stonehenge, but to carry a message that would help guide humanity in the future. Finley immediately thought that Christensen had to be a kook, and gave R.C. an astronomical quote trying to discourage the outlandish project. The actual price has never been divulged, but was estimated to be over $100,000, which in today's money is around $360,000. Finley was shocked when R.C. accepted the price without batting an eye. R.C. let it be known to Finley that he was to be the project manager and all of the monument direction would come from him. It was through Finley that Christensen was introduced to a local bank manager, Wyatt Martin, who would set up the local expense account to fund the project. It was also Martin who introduced RC to the local rancher that the five acres were purchased for the placement of the monument. The five acres sat on a rise outside of the city off of State Road 77 and were unveiled on March 22, 1980. The monument consisted of four stones, 16 feet tall, with the capstone making them a total of 19 feet. Each slab had the same message written on it in eight world languages, English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, and Russian. And the inscription read, Number one, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. And this, I guess we could call them commandments, because there's 10 of them, so I guess they're kind of like commandments, or maybe suggestions. But with this one, people are thinking that this monument had to have been made by the New World Order and was all about population control. Number two, guide reproduction wisely. Improve fitness and diversity. Now, to me, this one sounds a little bit eugenics-y, but I kind of get what they meant by it. Diversity's not a bad thing, guys. I mean, that, you know, inbreeding bad, diversity good. <laughs> Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. Again, uh, you know, Everybody can speak their own language, whatever. But I guess by having one language, everyone, there wouldn't be miscommunication. Maybe that's what they were getting at with this one. Number four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. So in other words, let's not let religious zealots trample over things and make decisions for individuals or anybody who's an extremist for that matter. Number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Doesn't sound too horrible to me. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. And that's kind of what the um, United Nations was supposed to do, but they're just like a big business anymore, I think, personally. Seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Um, I think we should definitely adopt this one. Number eight, balance personal rights with social duties. This one's pretty socialistic to me, like as far as what it's saying, because in other words, or what I think it's saying personally, is that the many are more important than the one. Th that's, that's what it sounds like to me anyway. 
Number nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Number 10, be not a cancer on the earth, leave room for nature. Honestly, they kind of sound like the Starfleet directive from Star Trek, but I'm that kind of nerd. And being united and not a cancer on the earth, it doesn't sound all that bad to me. Sounds logical, as Dr. Spock would say. The stones also had an astronomical purpose as well, not unlike that of Stonehenge. There is a channel through one stone that indicates celestial pole, meaning it aligns with Polaris, the North Star, giving us the ability to know cardinal direction. It also had a horizontal slot indicating annual sun travel. The sun would align at the two equinoxes to allow future humans to recreate the calendar. It also had another place through the capstone where sun would shine through every day at noon throughout the year. This would enable mankind to restart a daily clock. So why would all of these things be needed? Why would the New World Order be concerned about future human beings being able to tell direction, time, or the month for that matter? Well, in the time that these stones were conceived, 20 years before they were actually commissioned, according to R.C. himself, we were in the middle of the Cold War, and everyone just knew that nuclear war was imminent. So the group that R.C. represented wished to put a set of guidestones up that could direct mankind. Those who survived the nuclear fallout would have a way to restart the world. If all technology and knowledge were lost, they would have at least the basics provided by these stones and could restart the calendar and give us a working compass. Now, why did some asshat decide to destroy this monument to the future of mankind? Well, as I've stated before, some think they were placed by the New World Order and were preaching population control via mass genocide. Well, if you don't have the ability to contextualize history, I can see why these stones would give off those kind of vibes. But let's remember the Cold War. Others think they're related to this to Satanism or the Church of Satan. Which y'all, it's a parody of the Catholic Church. I believe that most of its members are actually atheists, but maybe I'm wrong on that front. They are definitely there to try to balance the far right by maintaining the far left. Balance in all things, remember? Then there's ye old witchcraft that always likes to rear its head. I guess they figure pagans and witches were drawn to the stones for their astrological properties that the guidestones used to hold. But all of that was put to an end on July 8th, 2022, when some extremists tried to blow the whole thing up. He managed to destroy one stone, but destabilized the whole monument. So later the same day, the Elbert County officials came in and finished the job by bulldozing it all. Side notes, in preparation for this episode, I did my normal internet research, and over the past few years, I've listened to several other podcasts about the Georgia Guidestones, like Blurry Photos, The Boogie Monster with Dave Stone and Kyle Kinane, 
and maybe Expanded Perspectives also did an episode about them. I can't remember right off. I also watched the documentary called Dark Clouds Over Elberton. The makers of the film interviewed the few people who were still alive that were involved in the building of the monument and gathered opinions from the townspeople. In the beginning of the show, it seemed that they were taking a pretty fair approach to it all. Then, it went all dark and all Nazi sympathizer-ish about old R.C. And they think they uncovered the true identity of R.C., but I won't give any of that away in case y'all want to watch it for yourselves. Honestly, what I gathered from the older generation's attitude about the monument, well, it's none of my business, seemed to be the general consensus and one of the other main thoughts was well if it brings money to town I'm for it and then the third thought from this older crowd was you know basically what I've been explaining or what my opinion is is you know this was built during the communist threat and those ideas on those stones aren't all that bad now the younger people, including a preacher, had the thoughts that it was the work of Satanists and other evildoers. And honestly y'all, the whole destruction of this monument could have been avoided if people would just do what I always say we all should do, mind your damn business. <laughs> if it doesn't affect you or isn't harming anyone, who cares? You'll find a link to the documentary in the show notes if y'all would like to watch it. It's available on YouTube. And I want to hear what y'all think about this subject. Where do you stand? No judgment, only curiosity. Look for my posts on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Mike puts up TikTok and YouTube videos for the shows too. There should be one episode uploaded to Patreon now and one on the way. You know, what would y'all like to see on the Patreon if you were to subscribe to it? What would help push you over the ledge? <laughs> to become a subscriber no pressure though i get how important the free side of entertainment is y'all heard my sob story at the beginning of the show anyways as i mentioned a moment ago follow us on social media i always post pics to go along with each episode i really don't have any recommendations this time around other than if you want to watch that documentary it was all right it gives us a lot of history about the stones I just do think that they had a biased perspective that they were trying to get across. And with that, we'll talk to y'all later on Lord of the South.